Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Murder and Misery, our true crime podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Heather, and I know absolutely nothing about true crime. And my name is Jillian, and I consider myself somewhat of a true crime expert. Yes, Jill is our resident true crime expert. And we created this podcast so that Jill could teach me about all things true crime, both locally and nationally, and to take you guys along for the journey, so that if you too know nothing about true crime, you can learn something. Or maybe hear another perspective about stories you already know. All right, so let's jump right in. Today's case was requested by my mom, Gina. So um, she One of actually, our number one fans. Huh? One of our number one fans. Yes. We should give her some credit. We do, because we always give my aunt credit, so we have to give my mom some. Um, and I will give her extra credit because not only did she request this case, but she did help me in researching it a little bit. Oh, that was very so, nice. It was. So if it sounds way better than before, don't tell me because <laughs> I'll have to help her help me every time. So. Thank you, Gina. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Gina. Okay, so today's case is on Diana Jane Browngart. She was born on January 31st of 1969 to her loving parents, Marvin and Jane Browngard. She also had an older brother named Daniel. And because it's also brought up later in the story, I'll go ahead and mention it now that both Diana and her brother Daniel were adopted. Like many of our stories, there's a personal connection. And to tie this back into all of our other previous cases that we've talked about recently, Ancestry, um, I found out on Ancestry that we are related to the, well, not we, me, I'm related to these people. Okay. Distantly, but they're on our family tree. That's so interesting. Did you know about this before? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I think my mom knew that they were, like, distant cousins somehow. Yeah. But um, I thought that was interesting. So Diana's father was born in Moscow Mills, which is one of the smaller towns in our county. And that's where my mom and her family grew up, too. So, that's where I live. Huh? That's where I live. Right. Yes. So we live in Lincoln County, but we live in different towns in Lincoln County. But Heather's in Moscow. So... Um, that's where, um, her father was born. So I'm not sure if Marvin moved, uh, out of Moscow before Diana was born, but he was a minister and at some point he became the pastor at the First United Methodist Church in Crystal City, Missouri. Crystal City is a small town in Jefferson County with less than 5,000 people in it. So it's a little over an hour from where we live and sits along the Mississippi River. And my mom did want me to ask if you remember which of our other stories mentioned the Mississippi River. Um, Julian Robin Carey. Yeah, good job. <laughs> um, it doesn't have anything to do with this, but she wanted me to quiz you. No, I like it. Keep yeah. coming. Chain <laughs> Rocks Bridge. Right. Um, and you should listen to that one if you haven't already. So Crystal City and its neighbor Festus. Um, Festus is slightly larger, but they're often collectively known as the Twin Cities, since they are less than a mile apart, similar to the distance between Troy and Moscow Mills. And that's where we live. <laughs> but Crystal City is where our story begins. By this time in 1987, Reverend Browngard and his family had become well-respected members of the Crystal City community. They lived in the center of town on Main Street. 18-year-old Diana attended Festus High School, where she was popular and got good grades. According to her parents and her friends, Diana did not have a boyfriend and was never in any kind of trouble. Not that having a boyfriend means you're in trouble, but she well, didn't, she didn't yeah. have a boyfriend and she wasn't in trouble. So Diana, like many teenagers, also worked a part-time job. 
She became a cashier at a store in the Twin City Mall. I believe it's now called the Twin City Plaza, but it sits somewhere between the two towns. The store that she worked at is called Venture. Um, It was a chain discount retail store that was founded by a guy who was previously with Target. Um, The first location opened in the 1970s in the St. Louis suburb of Overland. Uh, It eventually opened its 35th store in Crystal City in 1976. Yeah. I've never heard of it. I hadn't either. (laughs) Are they closed now? Yeah. um, I, I don't know if they're all closed, but that one is. So, on the evening of Wednesday, March 11th, 1987, Diana was working at the cash register at Venture. She was probably chatting with her friends and looking forward to modeling classes that she had recently began taking on the weekends. After her shift, Diana mentioned to her coworkers that she needed to go home and study for a test. She was last seen at 10 p.m. walking to her car but never arrived home. Marvin and Jane started to get worried about their daughter when she wasn't home by 10.30 p.m., She was a responsible teenager and would always call them if she were ever going to be late. According to a news article in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, her parents waited about an hour, anxiously waiting to hear the sound of Diana coming home on the front steps of the house. Then her dad got in the car and drove to the Twin City Mall where the Venture store was located. The mall had closed more than an hour earlier. It was dark and the mall was completely locked. There were only a few cars in the parking lot, so Marvin immediately spotted the bright yellow 1982 Ford Escort that Diana used to get back and forth from work. I don't like that. Yeah. I know this is a crime story, but I just don't like that. Sorry. Trigger warning. I didn't know if I should have added one. No. Okay. In general, I don't like these stories, Jill. (laughs) Sorry. Well, none of of them are good. Um, I like learning, but that makes me feel sick to my stomach. I'm sure her dad felt the same way. Right. Um, So there was no sign of Diana in or around her car. Her dad was unsure what to do, so he drove home. Of course, both of her parents were frantic at this point. Deep down, they knew something was wrong because Diana had always been good about calling home, and there had never been a time where they didn't know where she was. The couple said they tried to convince themselves that Diana had planned to spend the night with a friend and simply forgotten to tell them. So her mom, Jane, immediately started to call all of her friends because it was a school night. Most of these kids were already asleep and probably confused as why Diana's mom was calling them so late, but sadly none of them had seen or heard from Diana. When the sun rose and there was still no word from her, Marvin called the Crystal City Police Department and reported her as missing. Law enforcement launched an investigation right away. Detectives started calling Diana's friends and her classmates before they left for school that morning. They asked for any information about Diana, including if she had been having any issues going on in her life. Of course, the teen years can be difficult for anyone. Even good kids get annoyed by their parents from time to time. Because it sometimes happens, law enforcement initially explored the thought that the 18-year-old might have decided to run away. Her parents admitted that she had gotten an argument with them several weeks before this and left the home and spent the night with a friend. But as they explained to the police... Even though she was upset, she had told her parents where she was going, and she even called her mom as soon as she got to her friend's house and told her that she would be home the next day. Diana had returned by the time that she had promised and later told her friends that she felt bad about the argument because her parents, quote, treated her like a queen. After speaking with those who knew her best, investigators were convinced that Diana was not the kind of teenager who would voluntarily leave home without telling anyone. They found nothing to indicate that Diana had any problems in her life that would lead to her running away from home. Furthermore, she had less than $20 with her when she vanished, no access to credit cards, 
and everyone was certain that she must have been abducted. As mentioned, Diana and her brother both had been adopted at birth, so of course this connection was investigated as well. The detectives considered the possibility that Diana may have left to try and locate her birth parents. However, when Marvin and Jane had previously offered to help Diana in learning more about her birth parents, she had declined. Marvin and Jane were her real parents, so Diana seemed satisfied not to find out any more. Her car was searched thoroughly, but investigators found no sign of foul play in or around it. According to articles, she had been carrying a small purse and had been wearing a jacket that she borrowed from her brother. Because none of these personal belongings were found in the car, it's believed that Diana never made it there, and had likely been abducted as she made her way to the car in the parking lot after leaving the building. Of course, all the nearby trash cans were thoroughly searched, but no relevant evidence was found. The news media quickly picked up the the story about Diana's disappearance, and some tips started to come in. A woman called police to tell them that she had been driving past the Twin Cities Mall when she realized her baby needed a diaper change. She pulled into the mall parking lot, changed the diaper, then tossed the dirty diaper into a dumpster. As she was leaving the parking lot, she saw a man speaking with a young woman who appeared to have just come out of the mall. The witness didn't pay much attention to the interaction at the time, but later identified Diana as the young woman that she had seen. Some of Diana's co-workers also brought up the interaction that she had with one of the last customers to leave the store that evening. They reported that Diana had waited on him, but he seemed to linger around after he was finished checking out. At the time, they had assumed he was simply waiting for another customer who was still in the mall. Of course, now they wondered if he might have something to do with her disappearance. Right. The co-workers described the customer as a white man who was 5 foot 10 inches tall, between 35 and 40 years old. He was clean-shaven with a dark hair. They said he had a fairly dark complexion and had bumps on his face. The description they gave was very similar to the description by the woman who had stopped to change her baby's diaper. A sketch of the man was quickly released to the public, and they asked for help in locating him. Police emphasized and said that the man was not considered a suspect, but since he had finished his shopping around the same time Diana left the store, they hoped he might have witnessed something. They received a lot of calls about the man, but he wasn't identified. A few days later, police received a call from a woman who had been driving along the interstate that Wednesday night. She told them that she had seen a young woman matching the missing description standing up against a bridge rail on the highway. However, police were unable to confirm the sighting. Months went by without any new progress on the case. Police had made several public appeals for information, but Diana was not found. They had been unsuccessful in identifying her last customer of the night. And no I one just else feel like I, I just feel like I if I were that man, I would not want to come forward. <laughs> like you had said, they tried really hard to be like, you're not a suspect. We just want to see if you saw something. I would be like, no, you definitely think I'm a suspect. Yeah, I don't know. I'm saying. I, I think it depends, because if he really had nothing to do with it, then I feel like he would want to help, you know, especially since it was a small town. No, I agree. If you hadn't done anything. Right. But. You think he did something? I don't know. But I just feel like if you're looking for a missing person and you say, you put out this, the sketch of, hey, there's a, there was a customer at that time. There were probably 10 customers at that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it was just just odd that. it seems odd to single him out. Well, I think it was odd that he was like waiting from what it sounded like. It seemed like he was waiting for all the other employees to like leave you know 
Which Yeah, the way that you're describing it makes him seem like he was acting a little weird. Right. So I can totally see why they would want to talk to him. Mm-hmm. I just think it's funny that they tried to make it seem like they didn't think he did anything. Because the way that you're describing it makes it seem like he was acting like he Suspicious. was to do something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I just think it's funny that the police were like, we don't want to catch you. We just want to talk. You know what I mean? Isn't that what they always say, though? Mm-hmm. That's why I'm like, I don't think I would feel extraordinarily comfortable either. Right. That's yeah. All. No, that makes sense. I feel like, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like if somebody was like, hey, you're the last customer uh, at the store and this lady went missing, I'd be like, oh, you know, and try to remember everything. But yeah, no, I agree. I hope I never see my police, a police sketch of me on the news. But exactly. Um, I think I would be like the worst person because i don't remember anything so honestly same yeah it's like you always say if if i go missing we want to what is it two white women that have a true crime podcast yeah we would we wouldn't do a good job we wouldn't remember you see but i remember stupid stuff like i i don't know what it is about me but like i have i memorize like population signs and like i'll like sometimes memorize license plates and house numbers don't know why um okay but here's the thing, like, <laughs> if if that happened, then I would be like... Their license plate was... <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would be able to recall that, you know what I'm saying? But me and my... It's, like, weird, because me and my dad both pay, like, super small attention to detail, you know? Like, he... Nine times out of ten, if something, like, weird is happening, he'd be like, oh, see that? That guy, he made a wrong turn, and then he flipped backwards, and then he did this, and whatever, and I'll be like... And no one else, you know, pays attention to that kind of stuff. So it's, like, hit or miss, like... Yeah. Do they do they want me to like say what direction she went in? Probably could. Do they want me to memorize the day that it was? I wouldn't be able to tell you if it was yesterday or four months ago, you know? Yeah, that's very accurate for you actually. Yeah. <laughs> and you could do some serious sleuthing on social media, I feel like. Oh yeah. And now that I have anyway. an iPad, <laughs> I could draw her out on Procreate. There you know? You go. Anyway, back to the story. Okay, yeah. So, um, unfortunately, no one else came forward to report seeing her after she had left the store. But at this point, her family and her friends were still hopeful that she might be alive since they hadn't been able to locate her body. During the first two years of investigation, police followed up on hundreds of leads, never finding any solid evidence about what had happened to Diana. Sadly, some of these leads were false information based on only rumors started by people without any real knowledge on the situation, which we've talked about quite a few other times. Mm -hmm. Just going off of that about you talking about rumors, I know that obviously I completely agree that people should kind of stick to the facts and definitely not report things as true. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like sometimes rumors have a tiny piece of truth. And so what if I also don't feel like completely staying away from rumors is like best mm-hmm. because I think people talking about the case is better than people not talking about the case in a lot of situations because I feel like it can spark an idea or lead you from one place to the next to the next to the next, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, so I don't think rumors are completely bad. No, and I, I, I definitely get what you're saying. I think that's good if it gets people talking, but I feel like when it's bad is when – so when somebody's like, oh, um, Jim Bob said that he saw her walking down I-70 that night. And so then they go to the police and they're like, no, like I saw her walking down I-70 that night. And then it's like, okay, well, that she was walking down I-70. Mm-hmm. Like that's, and then it 
you know, maybe she was on I-65 and in a completely different direction, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, like, I do think that, you know, anybody reporting anything that they may think is, is a fact would be good. But I feel like it turns bad when you heard it from your neighbor's cousin's brother and then you report it to the police as fact when mm -hmm. instead of them reporting what they think they saw, mm -hmm. you know? No, I agree with that completely. Um, unsolved. No, you're fine. Unsolved Mysteries actually featured the case as a part of the Missing Persons special um, mm, on October 20th. Unsolved 20 Mysteries. I've never seen it. I know, but you just told me it's unsolved. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. I'm a clue finder. <laughs> well, this was in 1989. I don't care. You just confirmed it for me. I did. I'm not good at this. <laughs> but it aired on October 25th, 1989. As the years went by, Diana's parents clung to the hope that she was still alive. They knew, of course, that she hadn't run away. Her bank account remained untouched mm -hmm. and her social security number was never used. They wondered if she might have been held against her will and is now suffering from memory loss. Whenever they traveled anywhere, they made sure to bring flyers and missing posters with them, carefully hanging them up in case Diana had made her way across the country, which I think is so sad and sweet. I was going to say, I think it's so sweet. Yeah. Um. On the fifth anniversary of her disappearance, the Brown Gerd family held a prayer vigil for Diana. Her mother told reporters that time had done nothing to ease the pain of her loss. I'm certain the fact that there had never been any real leads in the case made it even more difficult to bear. Mm -hmm. As we can only imagine, the not knowing makes it even harder. Her family said that they could now accept the fact that Diana was dead, but they still wanted to know how it happened and where her body was located. More than anything, they just wanted to be able to bring her home. An article I read said it took Jane more than a decade before she was able to finally go through Diana's belongings and give away some of her clothing. Of course, she kept so several items with special memories, but admitted that she found it hard to look at these things. She added that it was painful for her to look at pictures of her daughter and think all that she could have been. In 2004, more than 17 years later, law enforcement decided to take another look at Diana's case. They had, hadn't received any new leads in the years, but thought taking a fresh look at the case might reveal something that was missed during the initial investigation which I think you had mentioned one of the other. Um, I think you mentioned it in the Hope's case that maybe it just takes, a, you know, mm -hmm. a new detective taking a new look at it for yeah. them to see something. So uh, in addition, samples of Browngard's blood were released to a Missouri laboratory in a few years. I'm sorry, why? How did they have her blood? That's what I was about to say after I finished the sentence. Because, and then I was like, hang on. Um released to a Missouri laboratory a few years earlier for DNA profiling, which I'm not sure how they got it. Um, hmm. Because I don't think that they keep blood if there's, like, lab testing. And then I was like, well, maybe they could have, I don't know, somehow got it together from her parents, but she's adopted. So I wasn't sure. Great point. Right. So I wasn't sure how they had this unless maybe it could be possible that before she went missing, she was, like, on her cycle. I'm not sure. Still, though. I don't... Yeah, I don't know how they got it. That part stuck out to me. Hmm. But... That's strange. Yeah. But very few leads came in, so the case was cold again. Over the years, detectives had worked out thousands of hours on the case and had accumulated 
about a dozen boxes of paperwork from the investigations. It was clear that all the detectives who had worked on the case desperately wanted to be able to give Marvin and Jane some answers. Sadly, the only thing they knew for sure was that Diana was still missing. However, the Brown Group family was grateful to know that their daughter hadn't been forgotten. In 2007, 20 years later, a man who was already in jail on unrelated charges was interviewed. He resembled the sketch of the man seen talking to Diane at Venture. I don't like these. This guy had lived in the area for decades. Even though they found no evidence proving that he had anything to do with her disappearance, investigators say the man hadn't given them any reason to clear him either. I guess I... I don't know. I... I've seen or heard before that sometimes when people are already in jail and they don't have anything to lose... They just claim other crimes as their own to make themselves look cooler or feel cooler or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like even if he said, yeah, I did it, it wouldn't be accurate, you know? Well, he never admitted to it. They looked at him and were like, hey, you lived in this area and you matched this sketch. But they could never get him to admit it or find any evidence linking him to it. Well, then I feel like we don't worry about him. Right. Is my personal opinion. Um, I feel like you can't just decide somebody's guilty. Right. And I'm I'm not saying that he was. No, I know. I'm but... <laughs> saying the investigators. Yeah. Who decided that he must have had something to do with it. Right. Well, I think they were hoping that he did, mm-hmm. you know. But no, I get it. Interestingly enough, this man, Marvin Cheney, was one of the killers of Trudy Darby, who was a convenience store clerk in Camden County, Missouri, in 1991. She was abducted, shot twice in the head, and tossed into a river. Okay, this, so it seems like he he might have been he might have been doing that. You can't switch up that fast, Heather. <laughs> Did you think he was just in there because he didn't pay a parking ticket? And no, they're like, no, no. here's a I murderer. Knew he, I knew he had a crime, but I don't. I still don't think we should just say, "Yeah, you did it." But right. I can see why the investigators would be like, "You might have, have something some, to do with this." Right. I can see why they would look at him. I still don't see why they would say, which. It doesn't seem like they have said that he's the one that did it. Right. I just felt like that's where this was going. I should have waited a second for you to say that they didn't say it's that. Okay. But I've, like I said, I've heard of people like trying to find people, blah, blah, blah. They're so desperate. So they'll be like, you're a serial killer. Did you also kill this person? They're like, yeah, I sure did. When they didn't. You well, know? and also what you said about them, you know, admitting to stuff. I mean, you know how many people in in prison have admitted to killing John Bonet Ramsey? Just right. for the clout. Exactly. Know? But it from what it sounded like, he never said anything. It was them, you know. Because mm-hmm. I will say that Camden County, Missouri was like a little less than three hours from Crystal City. Oh, that's pretty far. Well, you know, I don't think you stick in your hometown to commit crime. I guess I'm a little bit confused. So he lived in the Crystal City area, but he murdered that girl three hours away. Is that what you said? Yeah. They didn't say like where he lived um it just said that his previous like his conviction of the lady that he murdered was in camden county so i don't know where he necessarily resided but that was where one of his crimes was if that makes sense yeah i okay i guess i initially i thought you said that he lived in jefferson county which is where she was right I'm sorry, this is not going to make for a good podcast. I'm just trying to understand. No, you're fine. Because if he lived far away, then it doesn't make as much sense. But I wouldn't necessarily connect the two. It doesn't say where he lived. Okay. You had just said he'd been in the area for like 10 years. 
But three hours away to me is not the area. I wouldn't consider that like living in the same area. You know what I mean? It just said that he lived in the area for decades. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, you know, Kansas City's three hours away. If somebody was murdered in Kansas City, if they were like, Jill, you live in the area. You've lived in this area your whole life. You would be like, I don't even live anywhere near there. Hang on. You know what I mean? Right. So that's all I'm thinking. Okay, yeah. So I'm looking it up because I don't know. Uh, but hopefully it doesn't come across that I'm like trying to ignore you. Um, but I'm not good at multitasking. And you know this. Uh, however, people at home, I always forget that they cannot see what I'm doing. So I be uh, Googling stuff on my phone to get some live action uh, journalism and researching up in this podcast. I'm just not good at multitasking. So please hold while we find answers. Hopefully. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It says that when he was arrested, he was living in Max Creek, Missouri, which is three hours away. I don't know. Okay, so in that case, I I return to my my initial statement of I don't see why you would put the two together. You know what I mean? Like, that's really far. Three hours. That's just my personal opinion. I am not a detective. I do have another question. Are you distantly related to, like, her or her parents? Her dad. Okay. So you weren't actually related to Well, I guess she's adopted. Right. You know. Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry. No, I was just curious. Because I didn't know then if you were related to, like, her adopted parents. And then maybe you could solve the case if you're looking for her adopted parents. As as much as this (laughs) podcast going, I don't think I could solve her case. (laughs) Well, he was in the area. He lived in Nevada, Jillian. I'm not trying to ridicule. (laughs) No, you're fine. In in the slightest. I'm just saying, like, if if he lived... In Jefferson County, like, I lived in Jefferson County. That's where I lived before I moved back to Troy. Mm-hmm. If he lived there and that happened and then he committed another crime somewhere else, I completely understand why you would put the two together and why investigators would be like, hey, did you commit this crime? And I don't know if he, if, when they say he lived in the area, I don't know if he did live in the area. Yeah. Like, before, but, of course, this was 20 years after. Exactly. So, and he, he obviously didn't get arrested for killing uh, Trudy until what was that that was 1991 so you know years later so mm-hmm. who's to say he didn't live in the area at the time right and that's why they looked at him yeah. i'm not and sure i just don't know but based off the information i do have i don't think which is why they don't pay me the big bucks right but based <laughs> off the information that i have right now i don't personally don't think i would put the two together yeah and and maybe there was more that they had like... that they just didn't say and i'm not sure yeah yeah, they don't want to release everything to the public. But, however, um, he was convicted to serve a life sentence in Missouri State Prison. But he was never charged into the connection of Diana's case and died in prison in 2017. So, if oh, he was... Really doesn't even matter. We will literally point. never have answers. Yep. Never know. Uh, Sorry. No. I just, like, derailed this whole conversation for something that's not even... That's fine. It's irrelevant at this point. Unfortunately, the same year, 2017... Diana's mother, Jane, passed away. No. Yep. And That's it, so sad. A couple years prior, um, in 2015, her father had passed away after oh serving gosh. 52 years as a minister. So Diana's parents... Rest in peace, whole family. I know. Well, her brother. Hmm? She has a brother, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, she has a brother and he's still alive. But Diana's parents oh never gave up search for their daughter... Even though they knew that they were looking for a body. Uh, I don't feel like we know that. I think. I mean, obviously, time-wise, yes, we can assume. But 
I feel like it's well kind of just sad. You to say you never. That. I feel like there's a certain point where they probably just you know you do never know, but there's a point where it's like people assume they're in denial about it. Mm-hmm. Um, they did both list Diana as dying prior to them in their obituaries. Daniel is still alive though, and Diana's family and her many friends in the Festus area would still like to see justice in her case. Mm-hmm. So, a recap of the details. Diana Jane Browngard was a white 18-year-old senior at Festus High School. She is approximately 5'6 to 5'7, 108 pounds. She had blonde hair, hazel almond-shaped eyes. Diana had three small scars on her forehead and a V-shaped scar above the right corner of her mouth. She also had pierced ears. And she was last seen about 10 p.m. on Wednesday, March 11th of 1987, leaving her job at Venture heading towards her yellow Ford Escort in the Twin Cities Mall parking lot. She was wearing a Venture smock with a white shirt with colored print, a bright turquoise pants, and a short black boy's coat, which was her brother's, and brown loafers. She was carrying an off-white cloth purse. And if you have any information on this case, contact Crystal City Police Department at 314-937-4601. And the agency case number is 210F80. You may remain anonymous when submitting information, but there is still a $10,000 reward for any information on this case. Of course, nowadays we have social media, which along with all the drama on there can be a great resource when people go missing. But back in the day when Diana disappeared, people relied heavily on radio, TV, and newspapers one of which I mentioned a few times in the story, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I was able to find several articles in their archives on Diana's case. Diana is listed in NamUs, also known as the National Institute of Justice, as missing person MP3253. She is also listed on the Jane Doe Network, which is a volunteer organization. She's listed within Index 6 in a section called Unexplained Disappearances. Uh, So... We'll have those listed down below, but a side note, by the late 1990s, the Venture store chain, which I talked about earlier, found that it was unable to compete against other retail chains such as Kmart, Target, and Walmart. Most of the former Venture buildings were absorbed into other chains, like mostly Kmart, and coincidentally, the final Kmart that was originally a Venture store was the Crystal City location where Diana was last seen in 1987. This location closed permanently in 2018 or 19, couldn't figure out which one for sure, a little more than three decades after her disappearance, and I saw on Facebook former employees of the Venture store at Twin Cities Mall still get together for reunions, which I think is cool, and I'm most certain that their previous co-worker, Diana, comes up in many conversations. So, um, that's that, and that is the case of Diana Jane Browngard. It's very interesting. It's kind of spooky. Mm-hmm. I feel like she, like, literally disappeared into the night. Yeah. Which, I know that this was a while ago, so like you said, you know, last week you had mentioned that at the time they didn't have, like, video cameras that mm-hmm. they could check and things like that. And, like, it's so, it's so like, odd to think about because now, like, if somebody went missing in a strip mall, they would, like, pull the cameras. Right. You know? Right. And so I feel like it's so much scarier to think that, like, literally no one know like no one knows nobody knew nobody saw except for maybe the guy with the bumps on his face it's just so odd to think about and like scary to think about right 
Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I just feel so bad that both her parents died not knowing mm-hmm. what happened. I agree. And when I say we're related, I literally obviously never met these people in my entire life. And I just thought it was a fun fact. <laughs> yeah, no, I I do think it's cool. I just was, I wasn't sure like where they were connected. And like I said, I didn't know if you related to like her biologically or her parents biologically. So I was just curious. Um, I'm trying to think back. You, you know, like in every case you give me so many things. And a lot of times like when you're talking, I'm thinking about them. But then we like move on to the next and the next and the next. And I forget what I thought about about the first things. So I'm like trying to go through it in my head. At first, honestly, maybe I shouldn't say this. For some reason at the beginning when you had like mentioned her family and you specifically mentioned her brother, I thought her brother did something. Oh. <laughs> that was like the first thing that my brain went to. Which obviously that's not suspected. And I will say that I've tried very hard. Her, her last name is going to be in the... um title of this episode but i feel like i accidentally said it wrong because i it's like it's spelled b-r-a-u-n-g-a-r-d-e-t and my mom said it's brown guard but i think it said brown guard i don't know well my issue was is that i had put in the type typed out how to say it but i only did that at the top one so Mm, yeah i just i think it's so like it's so scary it's, like, very scary to think about that your loved one could be here one day and then gone the next and, like, have you... Obviously, I know people pass away and things like that, like, obviously. But to, like, literally not know, mm-hmm. that's so scary. And, like you said, like, I'm her... I mean, her mom and her dad, probably the people that loved her the most on the planet, ended up passing away. And, like, obviously nobody knows today, but, like, when they passed away, they still didn't know. I'm sure that they still thought about her every day and... Mm-hmm still wished that they could see her for holidays and things like that like it just sucks also i hate that she was like a senior in high school i don't know why but that always like hits me harder because that's like a turning point in everybody's lives Mm -hmm. it's like she was just about to start her life yeah you know like you're obviously alive until the end of high school but like you're not doing things on your own you don't have the amount of freedom you know you you're kind of like I mean, some people are obviously very rebellious, but you you really only know the information that you know from your family structure. Yeah. You don't really learn about, like, the world outside of your family until you graduate and you move out and things like that, you know? Yeah. So it's hard to think that, like, she was just on the cusp. I know. And also, I don't know, I'm sure you feel the same way, but, like, I didn't know this case until recently, but, like, I've always had, like, a overwhelming fear of getting abducted in parking lots even though we do have security cameras oh same 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 so like having always having that fear not even necessarily knowing like a particular situation that happened like hearing that it was somebody and it was you know somebody not necessarily around here Mm -hmm. but just like hearing that it does happen and like they still i know they have security cameras now but i feel like nine times out of ten at those malls, they'll be like, oh, the security camera's down, or the security mm-hmm. camera's broken, or it was in a blind spot. Like, mm-hmm. that stuff always freaks me out. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't like, I don't like going to, like, the mall at night by myself, or yeah. big parking lots, because it's, like, a real, like, fear. And- no, completely. I also feel like um, the security cameras kind of give us a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. Like, at the grocery store that I work at, they have cameras all over the store, right? Like, you can see them on the ceiling. But one of my coworkers had misplaced their, 
like personal belongings the other day and she was looking high and low and she thought that maybe someone had taken them. And so she asked the managers to pull the tapes and they pulled the tapes, but none of the cameras pointed in the direction that she had last had her items. Mm -hmm. But like they give you such a false sense of security, I think because they want to deter people obviously from like doing anything illegal. Right. But I mean, I would have thought 100%. There are like 10 cameras in the front of the grocery store. Not one of them pointed towards the area that she needed them to. And Did she were... find it, though? Yes. Okay, she just good. misplaced it. Good. <laughs> but, like, I feel like they also give us a little bit of a false sense of security. So I think it's good that you and I are a little bit nervous and that we're hyper aware of our surroundings. And maybe I should carry mace, you know? But I don't because it's too clunky and it drives me crazy. But should I? Yes, I should. I I mean, back in the day, I used to take mace, taser, and knives. <laughs> and Every time I, you went to the mall? Yeah. Well, yeah. I just have it on my purse all the time. Oh, wow. This necessarily, this wasn't in a parking lot, but one time I parked on the street at my old house. And when I was driving home, there on my street, I turned on my street and there was a guy who was walking the opposite direction I was driving. And I didn't have 10 windows. This was in my old Malibu. And he looked directly at me, mm-hmm. and then he was going the opposite direction and turned around and started walking towards my direction. I am a crazy person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and here's something that I always, always say. I would rather have people think that I am crazy than have something happen. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, maybe he just realized he was walking the wrong direction. I don't know. I don't know what his intentions were. I don't think so. Well, yeah. And so what did I do? I... I Got my, I decided instead of carrying it in my purse, like conceal and carry like I did, I would openly carry and I had it in my hand and he saw it and he walked the other direction again and I walked inside my house and, you know, mm-hmm. it just, I, you know, maybe he was like, wanted to say, hey, you're cute. It was literally probably 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. On a dark street with no street lights. That's um, so scary. Yeah. And so I would a hundred percent rather have somebody think that I'm crazy mm-hmm. than not you know and maybe he did maybe he was just like this is crazy maybe i don't want to get shot and turn around but i'd rather have that happen than you know find out that he had yeah, ill intentions street you know what i mean like right <laughs> keep going and turn around on another street right and, yeah. yeah so yeah that's so scary i mean it's definitely something that i think about but i feel like i'm often not prepared yeah does that make if that makes i got sense. some pepper spray in my closet if you want i have pepper spray too but i never carry it you should you know I don't really carry a purse. Well, have it on your keychain or something. It's too clunky. I keep my keys in my pocket. You know? Yeah. And like, yes, those are excuses and not to say that they're not valid ones, but like that's what goes through my mind. And like, I hope that there's never a day that I regret that, obviously. But I just feel, I feel kind of foolish for not doing it. But at the same time, like, I literally don't think I could. Maybe by the end of this um, podcast, or, you know, later on in the podcast, you'll change your mind. Yeah. Well, I, I do carry a purse from time to time, and I could keep it in there. But, like, I literally just put my keys in my pocket. Girls' pockets are not big enough to carry pepper spray. I'm sorry. Like, right. Like, the manufacturers do not give me enough pocket space to put pepper spray in my pocket. They it's, just don't. It's discriminatory against I'm, women. Listen, if I wore men's jeans, I could fit it in there. Oh, yeah. But I can't because I don't wear men's jeans and they give me two inches of pocket. And I don't think men understand how. Sometimes there's not even pockets. Sometimes they're fake. 
And you can't put anything in it. I do not buy jeans that have fake pockets, but yes, I know that they do make them. I refuse. I've set a standard for my life. I need pockets. It is what it is. That's what most of mine are because I buy jeggings. Really? Yeah. Drives me crazy. I don't know how you handle that. Well, they still have back pockets. I primarily only buy leggings with pockets as well because it drives me crazy to not have a place to put my stuff. Yeah. So, anyway, that's a random tangent. I guess really to say, like, obviously I don't follow my own advice, but you should be prepared so that, like, you don't have to be in this kind of a situation. Right. And and also, you know, never – obviously she worked at the store, mm-hmm. but I feel like you should never feel embarrassed or never feel like you can't ask, you know, if there's somebody working there – you know, ask them to walk you to your car if you feel uncomfortable or something like that because, you know. You never know. You don't. And I see, I saw on TikTok last week, um, it was somebody who worked at a store. They, I'm not sure, they had worked at a store and a lady came in and she was getting ready to check out and the person that was checking her out was like, do you know that man that's been like, he's waiting outside like, and he's been like watching you and do you know who he is? She was like, no, but like, I noticed that when I was walking into the store, he was like following me, but I didn't think anything of it. And I didn't even realize he was still out there. And so the person that was, that worked at the store was like, okay, well you, I'll ring you out right now. But, um, they said, I want you to wait in the store for about 10 minutes to see if he leaves. Mm-hmm. And so the, the lady like walked around the store for 10 minutes and then eventually the person left, but the person that was working still like walked and literally watched her walk to her car. And I feel like, you know, we need definitely need more people that are vigilant like that and that pay attention because she said she didn't even realize that he was just standing outside and she had been in the store for a hot minute. But even if you stay aware of your surroundings and never be embarrassed to ask somebody for help or ask somebody to walk to your car. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it too. Like, I think I'm embarrassed to have pepper spray on my keychain. Like, Is it he- wouldn't fit in my pocket, but like, I also feel like, I don't know why. It's like, you know, that series of like things that are embarrassing that shouldn't be. Like, when your friend picks you up and you have to walk to the car. Yeah. Like, for some reason, that's embarrassing, but it shouldn't be. You're literally just walking to the car. I don't know why, but to me, having pepper spray, pepper spray on my keychain, I had it on there for a little bit while I was in college. For some reason, like, it was embarrassing to me. Yeah. Even though it shouldn't be. Like, I think people should have a way to protect themselves, but for some reason, like, maybe it's because I can't fit it in my pocket, and it's like... You don't want it exposed. I want this in my pocket. I don't know. We'll get you, like, a conceal and carry pepper spray. Okay. <laughs> I feel like there's... Put it on my hip. There's, like, more slim versions. Honestly, yeah. tasers, unless you have police-grade tasers, don't work. I've, really? I have I have a um, self-defense taser, and I've been tased by it many times. It does nothing. Hmm. So Good to know. Keep that in mind, everybody. Yep. And I know if you can't, you know, even carrying some wasp spray in your car, I know it is severely illegal if you use it on somebody, but I would rather use it on somebody than be murdered. So did you know that? It's illegal. I did not know that it was illegal. It, it will blind somebody. So if, I feel like just get the big guns, get the bear spray. Well, I feel like I feel like the bear spray is too because... I'm sure it's illegal. I'm just saying if you're going to blind somebody with wasp... With, yeah. You know, I think wasp spray is cheaper. That's why people... Oh, it's 100% cheaper. Why people... Because I know teachers... Bear spray is like big. <laughs> I've never... <laughs> you could probably knock somebody out with it. I, I can't imagine having to use that. I would... Mm-mm. Yeah. Because the bear... Mm-hmm. I mean, a person, yeah. But I know the wasp... I'm, I don't know about bear spray, but like the wasp spray shoots like six feet or something. 
Girl, bear spray gotta shoot further than that. Really? Well, I wouldn't want to be up close you and personal be with a bear. Six feet from a bear. Mm-mm. I'm not. I'm not really sure how far it shoots, but I think it's. It goes. I think it's like pressurized, like a wasp spray is. Anyway, that's not related. But yes, I agree. Like if if you're gonna get murdered, spray them with a wasp spray. Yeah. Deal with the consequences later. I feel like self defense. They might go easy on you. Yeah. With that being said, um, rest in peace to Diana. And, yes, and her mom and her dad. Right. And, you know, we're sending our condolences to Daniel and all of her friends that are still with us. Yeah. And. It was a very interesting story. I had you. not heard of it. I hadn't either. You know, that's normal for me, though. Well, cool. I'm glad that you're bringing it up. And just like with Hope's situation, I mean, who knows if someday we'll learn more information. Right. You know, especially the story last week, you know, he was caught literally decades later. So maybe the story might be similar. Yeah, and hopefully, I mean, even to bring some closure to her brother. It's just so sad when you hear stuff like that. And I've heard some other stories where they it was solved, you know, years after their parents. Yeah. yeah. And it just breaks. I mean, obviously it breaks my heart, but it breaks my heart a little bit more that they died. They wouldn't knowing. get to know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I do think that makes it different. But anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. We appreciate each and every one of you that listens. It means so much to us. Um, you can find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and a few more. Please give us a follow on Instagram, TikTok, and in our Facebook group. In our Facebook group, Jill shared a few memes making fun of herself. And I think some people have even had some discussions about their theories, which I think is pretty cool. So if you're not in there and you like to discuss, obviously you can text us. But if you want to have a discussion with like our audience, then join the Facebook group. Shout out to Kayla, the one that did start the discussion. I know she (laughs) listens every single week. (laughs) Well, thank you, Kayla. With that being said, um, we'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye.